stand together. We're going to lift up our voices as we sing, I stand amazed in the presence, and then I will sing of my Redeemer. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene, and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned and I could only hope and dream to be doing as well as she is doing at 90 years old. Let's open our service with a word of prayer. And at the same time, we're going to ask a blessing on Joyce as she gets ready to charge towards 100. Amen? Amen. Father in heaven, it is good to be in your house this morning. Lord, we thank you for each brother and sister in Christ that is here. And Lord, we do celebrate with Joyce turning 90 years old. And I pray that you would be with her, that she would see many more years. And we do thank you for the wondrous blessing of life. Uh, it's just, it's exciting. It's an adventure. 
Lord, we thank you for the gift and we thank you for the gift of eternal life that is so much more valuable. I pray that today as we go to your word, as we worship you, as we sing praises to you, that in every way it would lift you up and exalt you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated.
as we sing come people of the risen king and then behold our god
Please turn to the book of Zephaniah in the Old Testament. Zephaniah, one of your minor prophets towards the end of the Old Testament. I'm going to read to you uh, chapter 2, verses 15 through chapter 3, verse 7. The title of the message this morning is Living Carelessly. And as I read this text to you, you're going to hear it talk about a city. And that city is the rejoicing city that dwelt or lived carelessly. My objective this morning in going through this text is help us, each of us, to understand and remember that God expects better of us. He doesn't expect us to live a careless life, a godless life, but he really looks for us to draw near to him. I'm going to preach on this text both this morning and this evening. This morning, I'm just going to look at the people of that city. Tonight, I'm going to look at its, pop, its politicians, its religious leaders, and its God. So this morning, we're going to focus in on verse 2 of chapter 3. Uh, but this evening, we're going to focus on verses 3 all the way down through 7. But let me read the text to you and listen as I read. And in some ways, you're going to recognize the very place we live today and the time we live. So listen as I read. This is the rejoicing city that dwelt carelessly, that said in her heart, I am and there is none beside me. How has she become a desolation, a place for beasts to lie down in? Everyone that passeth by her shall hiss and wag his hand. Woe to her that is filthy and polluted to the oppressing city. She obeyed not the voice. She received not correction. She trusted not in the Lord. She drew not near to her God. Her princes within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves. They gnaw not the bones till the morrow. 
Her prophets are light and treacherous persons. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. The just Lord is in the midst thereof. He will not do iniquity. Every morning doth he bring his judgment to light. He faileth not, but the unjust knoweth no shame. I have cut off the nations. Their towers are desolate. I made their streets waste that none passeth by. Their cities are destroyed so that there is no man, that there is none inhabitant. I said, surely thou wilt fear me. Thou wilt receive instruction. So their dwelling should not be cut off. Howsoever I punished them. But they rose early and corrupted all their doings. When we look at this text, we find the prophet Zephaniah proclaiming the words of God. And God from heaven above looks down upon the earth. And there are many mighty cities at one time that proclaimed, even as this city, I am and there is none beside me. I'm the most powerful. I'm the most wealthy. I'm the most important. Nothing could ever happen to us. But even today, you can go around the world and you can find cities that lay desolate. There are cities that we have yet not even discovered that once were mighty cities, but now they are just archaeological ruins. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about a people, a place, a time when they themselves were prosperous, productive. They were happy people. They were people who said they were so busy they had no time for God. So important that it didn't matter. When we come down to verse 2 of the text, Zephaniah chapter 3, it says she obeyed not, his, she obeyed not the voice. She received not correction. She trusted not in the Lord. And she drew not near to her God. That's God's indictment upon this careless city. It's interesting when you look at verse 15, it says it's the rejoicing city that dwelt carelessly. When you come down into verses 1 and 2, you find him reference this city as filthy, polluted, oppressing. So we find quite a contradiction between the way they saw themselves and the way that God saw them. And I ask us this morning, you and I as the children of God, you and I as believers, you and I that have received Christ and entrusting in Him, when God sees us, does He see us vastly different than we see ourselves? Are we seeing ourselves even as this rejoicing city? Are we also so careless that we've allowed ourselves to become filthy, polluted, oppressing. It's interesting when we look at verse 2. Because these are simple things that he talks about that they ignored. And in you and my spiritual lives too. We need to step back and ask ourselves, am I, am I ignoring the simple principles? And allowing myself to become polluted, oppressive, defiled? 
Let's look at verse 2. Let's look at the people of this city and, and let's ask ourselves, are we doing what we should do? The first thing he says is, she obeyed not the voice. And here he's referencing the voice of God within the inner soul. That very conscience of the spiritual man. It's interesting when you come to the New Testament. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 4. When we look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, here we find the text talking to us about our conscience. It says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. He says that if we're not careful, we so ignore God and we live so carelessly that our conscience becomes seared, cauterized, no longer able to feel and sense what God has to say to us. Our text there in Zephaniah tells us that that city, its inhabitants, had stopped listening to the voice. They themselves had become so callous. Titus chapter 1 verses 15 and 16 says, Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable. In disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. What a frightening thought that within ourselves we, we could become so indifferent, so callous, so cauterized to the very voice of God within our soul that we could so disregard Him and live in such a way that dishonors Him. As we come back to Zephaniah, as we come down into verse 2, it tells us not only did the inhabitants of that city not obey the voice, but she received not correction. And that is an interesting twist as he approaches the view of the, these people, this city. He says, they will not listen to me and they will not obey me. Now I've been a parent for a long time. And now a grandparent for a long time. Uh, my oldest grandchild's getting ready to turn 15. And how important is it that they not only listen, but obey? Amen? Amen. Whether it's our children or our grandchildren, or in Joyce's case, maybe great-great-grandchildren. I don't know. Certainly, I know that uh, every once in a while... We, we talk uh, to Doris Brace about how many kids and grandkids she has. She's got, it's like a list and a half of kids and grandkids. Um, but you know, the, the goal is that they would listen and obey. Why? Because we care about them. Because we love them. Because we want them to be better. In fact, correction is really a reflection of love, isn't it? For God to reach out and care enough 
to speak to them, even if they're calloused and hard, he still reaches out and desires them to obey. I want you to look with me, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. And here we see some reference to chastening or disciplining and reminding us that, you know what? If we love our children, if we love our grandchildren, if God loves us, he is going to discipline or chasten us. Look with me there at Proverbs chapter 3, 11 and 12. It says on the screen I'm looking at, you have a screen back here, I have one there. It says, my son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. When we look at texts like this, we are reminded that God loves us. And how do we know? Because he speaks to us and chastises us. He's, he cares enough to say no. He cares enough to say don't do that. He cares enough to say that's not good for you. Now, people have a tendency to say, I don't want to hear that. I want to do what I want to do. But God says, well, then I'll chastise you. Then I'll discipline you. I'll correct you. And then it's our decision whether we take that correction well. Whether we allow that to steer us and direct us. Or are we rather going to throw ourselves on the ground and throw a tantrum? Have you ever seen that happen? Man, oh man, I've seen some. The worst are adults. Adults are the worst when they throw a tantrum. Kids, you can kind of dismiss it, can't you? You can think, oh, well, it's just a kid. It might even be a little cute, but you don't want them to know. <laughs> but once they start reaching an age, there is nothing cute about a tantrum. And the older they get, the more unattractive it is. So you and I in our lives, when we look at this text and we understand the inhabitants of this city, these people... Would they not only refuse to hear the voice of God, but they did not receive his correction, even though God loved them. You know, Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. it tells us that foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Proverbs 23, 13 says, withhold not correction from children. Why is that? Because God wants us to invest in the next generation. Invest enough to care. There's a lot of people who just don't care. <clears throat> the other day I was watching the news and there was another horrible shooting. And it was a whole, a, a huge house party of kids who were in their teens and the shooting happened after one o'clock in the morning. And I'm thinking, these kids that got shot were like 14, 15, 16 years old. They're kids. When I was a kid, it used to come on the television, because televisions used to go off. They stopped sending signals back in the old days. And there used to come a little thing and it would say, do you know where your children are? How many of you remember that? Well, there are a few old timers here. But we have to ask ourselves, do people not care 
where their children are at one o'clock in the morning, 14, 15, 16 year old kids? What has happened to the city of this generation? What has happened to the parents? Did they not understand that the Bible says that bound within the heart of a child is foolishness? And that you and I as moms and dads, we need to do our best to raise our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, the next generations with sincerity and love. And that requires sometimes correction. So it tells us that in this city they would not obey the voice of God. They did not receive the correction of God. Look at the third thing in verse 2. Uh, it says, she trusted not in the Lord. That city would not trust in God. Psalms chapter 9 verse 10 says, And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. You and I, we need to be those people who put our trust in the Lord. You and I need to be those people who understand and remember that God has not forsaken us. But we need to seek to know Him as He seeks to know us. They were not willing to trust in the Lord. Have you? Have you taken that step of trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ? He died on the cross for your sins, that you might have eternal life, that you might have forgiveness, that you might have renewing in your life and eternal life. Have you taken that simple step of going ahead and saying, yes, Lord, I recognize that I am a disobedient child. I am a sinner. And you died on the cross for my sins. I put my faith and my trust in you. I receive you as my Savior. This city, these people, they would not trust in the Lord. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 12 and 13, it says that we should be to the praise of His glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that you believed, ye were sealed. And with that, the Holy Spirit of promise. This text that I just read to you, the apostle writing to the church in Ephesus, under the inspiration of God, he says, you, you people, after you heard the word of God, you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you and I, we have a responsibility. This city, this rejoicing city that lived so carelessly, this filthy and polluted city, he says there are people who would not trust in the Lord. Have we, have we taken that step that the apostle writes to Ephesians or Ephesus about? He says after they heard the word of truth, they trusted in God's gospel and they received salvation you and i we must take that step every one of us here young and old you can't say well i don't know i was raised in a religious family i think i'll be okay you can't say well you know what i'm a good person i give to charity i help others 
It's not good enough. God says all our goodness, all our righteousness is as filthy rags. We have to come and trust in him. For he's the only one who can make us clean and make us whole through his shed blood. They would not trust in God. They would prefer to trust in themselves. Maybe they were trusting in their prophets. Well, the problem is, verse 4 tells us that their prophets were light and treacherous persons. Their priests had polluted the sanctuary and done violence against the law of God. Well, maybe they were trusting in their politicians because their politicians were great and famous leaders. But verse 3 of our text says, Her princes within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves. And they're so lazy that they will not even gnaw the bone until the morrow. <coughs> you and I, we have to be careful of who we trust. Who we put our faith in. Who we rest in. We know that there is only one Lord and one God. We must put our faith in Him. That is why Jesus made it so clear. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. So as we look at this city, we see this careless people who would not trust in God. And then the last one it talks about in verse 2, it says, She drew not near to her God. It's interesting. Each one of these things, these are simple things. Simply asking, God asking that they would hear his voice and listen. Simply asking that they would go ahead and receive correction. Simply asking that they would trust in God the creator. And the, and the last one he says in verse 2, she drew not near to God. Now maybe, maybe if you don't know God, that sounds like an incredible task. How do I draw near to God? Certainly I think it's something that people have sought after worldwide. When you go to different countries, different places, you find different people trying some way to find God. But the interesting thing is, the Bible teaches us, that God is very near to all of us. In fact, turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 17. And you find in this text, the apostle preaching on Mars Hill in Athens. And still today, you can go to Athens, Greece, and you can go on a tour, and you can see all those ancient ruins, the same things that the apostle Paul had seen and preached at in his day. But listen what he says to them in verse 27. In fact, we'll pick it up in verse 26. And God hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth. And he hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. You and I, he goes on to say, we live and move in his midst. 
He is not far from any one of us. He is merely but a prayer away. It's really a matter of you and I going ahead. It's a matter of these people of this city in that time, of them simply reaching out to God because he is there. Sadly, so many make it so complicated. They tell people they have to do this step and this step and this step and this step and then maybe they'll make it. Or they have to make that journey and they have to punch that religious card and maybe they will make it. But the Bible simply teaches us and Paul preached in Athens all those many years ago that you live and move in the midst of God. And he is but just a prayer away. These folks, they ignored the simple because they wanted to live carelessly. They wanted to ignore the voice of God. They wanted to ignore the correction of God. They wanted to refuse to trust in the Lord. And when we read the text, it reminds us they, they came to desolation. It says they are no more. How has she become a desolation, it says? A place for beasts to lie down in. And everyone that passeth by shall hiss and go ahead and wag his hand at it. You and I need to live a life where it is a life that honors God. A life that seeks to walk with God, to know God. When I was a little boy growing up in Massachusetts, Rutland, Massachusetts, we had an old, old ancient cemetery in town with tombstones that went back into the 1700s. And so they would take us in art class and we would go and we would put a paper against it and we would do a tombstone rubbing. How many have ever done that? It's kind of cool. Especially if they're so old, you can't see anything on it. And that's what their goal was. They would take us to stones where you, with the naked eye, you could not see anything. We'd put that paper on there and we'd rub that crayon sideways on there. And all of a sudden you could read their name when they lived and maybe something about them when they died. Let me ask you, you and I, when our tombstone is so old and worn and somebody does a rubbing on it, what will it say? Will it say they lived carelessly? Or will it say they lived for God? Will it say that they heard the voice and received the correction, trusted in the Lord? Or will it say they did not? We are even as the people, the people of old as well as the people today. We're no different. They were no less intelligent. They were no less aware. If we're not careful. We think we're so magical, so amazing. We're just people. Now we happen to live in a time where the advancement of science and discovery has brought us a long ways. 
We can go into our house and turn on hot water and out of the same spigot get cold. Pretty neat, huh? You know, you no longer have to, in the middle of the night, launch outside to go and find the outhouse, do you? <laughs> not, a, not as far as I know any of you. I, we live in a good day. This morning, Sandra Joe and I got up in the house, and it was, it was pretty cool. And so we have a little thing, we clicked it, and bam, within a few minutes, just kind of buffered the cold a little. Pretty good, isn't it? But if we're not careful, we start to think we are so different. So different than people back then. No, we're not. We are still the same people. Living in a different time with different technology. And there is still the same God. The same God of evermore. He teaches us, I am the Alpha and Omega. That means the beginning and the end. He teaches us that He is forever. Ever before and evermore. That is who our God is. And we, as the people of our city, of our time, we need to obey His voice. We need to willingly and gratefully receive His correction. We need to put our faith and trust in Him and draw near to Him. For He is a God that has drawn near to us and paid the price for us. As we come to the end of our message this morning, I just want you to take a moment. We're all going to bow our heads. and I just want you to take a moment. Reflect for just a second on those who have lived before you. Your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, your ancestors going back through time. You are no different than them. They woke up in the morning, they kissed their wife, they went about their day. They worked hard in their fields or their woods, in their factories. But they also had to face the same God, the God of all generations. And just take a moment and think, have I honored them? By obeying and hearing, by trusting and drawing near. Tonight, if you come back at 6 o'clock, we're going to go ahead and look at the politicians of that careless city, the preachers of that careless city, and the God of that city. So, come back tonight at 6 o'clock. Let's have a word of prayer, and then I think John is going to have a little chorus for us to leave on. Lord, I pray that you be with us as we go forth. We ask that you would guide us and direct us. Help us to be a people who honor you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. He is exalted, the King is exalted on high. I will praise Him. He is exalted forever, exalted. Exalted on